me uh, add my welcome to that of Marcus's uh, today. Particularly warm welcome uh, if you're here along for the first time or if we haven't met before. My name is Callum. I'm the associate uh, pastor here uh, at St. Peter's Barge. Uh, we're going to uh, carry on in our uh, series in Acts uh, today, and uh, we're going to be looking at the next little section, Acts chapter 5, uh, starting at verse 12. And we're going through uh, to verse 16, um, so you can find it on page uh, 1100 on the Church Bibles, if you're following along there. Uh, page 1100, Acts chapter 5, uh, verses 12 uh, to 16. Uh, but let me pray for us uh, as we get our Bibles open. Our loving Lord, uh, we thank you uh, that we can uh, gather together and worship and that you're here with us. We thank you that uh, you send your spirit uh, that we might uh, see the Lord Jesus more clearly. Uh, so help us uh, as we read of uh, signs and wonders to have faith in you and to help others to know you for themselves as well. We thank you for how wondrous you are. Amen. So Acts uh, chapter 5, starting at verse 12. Now many signs and wonders were regularly done among the people by the hands of the apostles, and they were all together in Solomon's portico. Uh, None of the rest dared join them, but the people held them in high esteem. And more than ever, believers were added to the Lord, multitudes of both men and women so that they even carried out the sick into the streets and laid them on cots and mats, and that as Peter came by, at least his shadow might fall on some of them. The people also gathered from the towns around Jerusalem, bringing the sick and those afflicted with unclean spirits, and they were all healed. Well, do keep that open in front of you, and... Uh, you can uh, find a sort of outline of where we're going in the yellow service sheets uh, today as well. So it would be helpful uh, to have that open. Well, what's the most amazing thing that you have ever seen? Interesting question, isn't it? Uh, maybe out in nature, a sunset, perhaps. Um, or, I don't know, cliffs by the sea. Or uh, a whale sort of jumping out of the water. Beyond the natural... Uh, world, beautiful arts, maybe uh, wondrous architecture, a- ancient wonders of the world. There can be something quite confronting about seeing wonderful, amazing things. We can be confronted with almost a, a greater reality. They give us a sense of wonder when we look up at the stars and realize how small we are. Uh, when we uh, see a cathedral that's taken lifetimes to finish, we get a sense of perspective about ourselves, uh, that this is wonderful. We're in the book of Acts today, and in just a short section, we see signs and wonders being performed by the apostles, wondrous acts that confront us with a greater reality, points us to something outside of ourselves, greater uh, than ourselves. It was the same uh, for the people uh, back then as it is for us today. When we consider these matters, they need to be right up there with the most amazing things uh, that we can possibly see, even reading about them 2,000 years later. So we're going to have a look at signs and wonders 
today and see what the Bible has to say about them. So look with me at verse 12. Many signs and wonders were regularly done among the people by the hands of the apostles, and they were all together in Solomon's portico. If you remember where we've come from in our uh, journey in the book of Acts so far, it makes uh, sense that this would happen now. So remember, the, the resurrected Jesus, before he ascended, he gave the apostles the charge in chapter 1, verse 8, to be witnesses to the ends of the earth. And when he ascended, he sends his Holy Spirit. That, that's Pentecost, where his followers are filled with the Spirit. They, and they start... Uh, following and people start following Jesus, uh, joining the the new community of believers. And in chapter two, verse forty-three, we saw awe came upon every soul, and many signs and wonders were being done through the apostles. And then remember how Peter and John they got arrested. They did one of these sort of signs and wonders. They healed a lame man. And they said, it's by the power of Jesus that we did this. And they were arrested, tried, and told, stop talking about Jesus. They were threatened, weren't they? And then once they're released, we saw that the believers gathered together. And in the face of the threats, they prayed for boldness in speaking about Jesus. So chapter 4, verse 30, they prayed that while you uh, stretch out your hands to heal... And signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. Today, we see an answer to that prayer. As last week, we saw a sort of result of the the boldness that that speaking the word had led to. That they had a new community gathered together. Today, we see signs and wonders being done. We... Uh, here, the believers are enjoying their, their common life together, or they, they were last week when we uh, saw that they were devoted to one another and to the apostles' teaching. And then there was, of course, this sort of sneak attack from Satan to get Ananias, Ananias and Sapphira to be liars and hypocrites. Now, many signs and wonders are being done. It's an answer to a prayer uh, back in 4 verse 30. What does it mean that signs and wonders were done? We can see from the immediate passage, verse 15, that uh, people were being healed. So they they carried the sick into the streets and laid them on cots and mats that uh, as Peter came by, at least his shadow might fall on some of them. In verse 16, the people also gathered from the towns round Jerusalem, bringing the sick, those afflicted with unclean spirits, and they were all healed. Can you imagine this happening? How crazy that would have been. How amazing it would have been. The sheer number of people being healed miraculously. Completely and utterly and immediately made well. Not through doctors or physios or through medicine or anything else. But the sheer power of God at work through the apostles. Through Peter. Even his shadow simply falling on these people. It would have been incredible, wouldn't it? It's helpful for us to have a look at how the Bible uses the term signs and wonders, for us to be able to fully uh, grasp this, understand it in some way. Because it's actually quite specific as a biblical term, uh, signs and wonders being done. So later in in Acts chapter 7, we'll encounter uh, Stephen, who said, um, who who the apostles had laid their hands upon to, to commission his ministry. He recalls 
that when God rescued uh, his people from Egypt, um, they, he did so with lots of signs and wonders. And he raised up Moses. And then Acts 7, 36, uh, this man, Moses, led them out from Egypt, performing wonders and signs in Egypt and at the Red Sea and in the wilderness for 40 years. The Old Testament actually really often refers back to this event and when it talks about signs and wonders. Basically saying that the rescue of God's people from slavery in Egypt was accompanied by wondrous signs and wonders. The Old Testament, when it talks about signs and wonders, it so often refers back to that event. Indeed, at the beginning of the prophetic age in the Old Testament, lots of miraculous things happen with the ministry of Elijah. These sort of prophecies accompanied by signs. And then when Jesus is ministering, he performs signs and wonders. So uh, back in chapter 2 of Acts, in one of Peter's sermons, he mentions this. He says, Acts chapter, uh, chapter 2, verse 22, fellow Israelites, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs, which God did among you through him as you yourselves know. So the Apostle Peter and the witness of Scripture says that signs and wonders are being done for a specific purpose. You see, uh, back in 2.22, uh, Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God to you, almost authenticated by God with wonders and signs. And the author of uh, Hebrews even says that salvation, says this of salvation, says that it was declared first by the Lord and it was attested to us by those who heard. That uh, attesting to us by those who heard, it means accredited. It means it was legit. While God bore witness by signs and wonders and various miracles and by gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed according to his will. This is talking then about the salvation being accredited, legitimate. And so now we get the apostles performing signs and wonders. Along with the Apostle Paul, who writes later to the Corinthian church about his ministry, that he did the, the true signs uh, of the apostles. Uh, that, uh, he was, uh, he, that he did the signs of a true apostle performed among them with utmost patience, with signs and wonders, and mighty works. So the big headline is this, signs and wonders uh, accompany significant moments in redemptive history in scripture, significant moments in God's rescue of his people. So there's the rescue out of Egypt, there's uh, the incarnation, Jesus's uh, ministry, his death, his resurrection, and the church starting out with the ministry of the apostles. These events are accomplished, if you like, with a bang, an announcement that something wonderful has happened here. It's the same in Acts 5.12. This is the church starting out, the ministry of the apostles uh, being authenticated. What they're saying is true. God accompanies it with a bang. That reference from Hebrews shows uh, it's God's way of authenticating the significance of these events. Almost like how a a new year is brought in with a great big firework display. So these big events are accompanied by 
miraculous signs and wonders, as such as these healings. These signs, they legitimize the events. They say this is real. It happened. You can trust these guys. However, there are a few ways in Scripture that the term signs and wonders is used differently. And it's helpful for us to consider that as well. And it it refers to false signs and wonders. So in, in Matthew 24, 24, false Christs and false prophets will arise and perform great signs and wonders so as to lead astray, if possible, even the elect. Or 2 Thessalonians 2, 9, the power of the lawless one is by the activity of Satan and with all power and false signs and wonders. So the New Testament here, it's quite forceful stuff, isn't it? That there will be actually rival signs and wonders being done. Uh, Miraculous things called signs and wonders that will be done for the sake of deceiving people, even God's own people. These signs, they'll look like true prophecy and uh, genuine Christianity. They're not going to be uh, faked hoaxes, but with real power, Satan will get people to do supernatural things in order to deceive people. How will we know that they're fake? Well, I think the big biblical perspective is that they probably won't be uh, calling people back to the historic redemptive events and acts of God. Now, you might be sitting here pretty skeptical of basically everything that I've said so far. You're saying, well, you're talking about false signs and wonders. I'm pretty skeptical about the whole thing of signs and wonders. doesn't sound very legit. God was somehow healing people with uh, Peter's shadow. It's a common objection you sort of sometimes hear people saying, isn't it? That, uh, you know, I'm more scientific and my worldview is is a scientific worldview. And so uh, it may be if a sign and wonder could just happen in front of me, then I might give God a chance. Maybe I would believe in him. But C.S. Lewis, the Oxford professor, challenged that idea, saying that if if your worldview excludes the supernatural, you'll be skeptical no matter what the evidence. He said, uh, for this reason, the question whether miracles occur can never be answered simply by experience. Every event which might claim to be a miracle is in the last resort something presented to our senses, something seen, heard, touched, smelled, or tasted. And our senses, they're not infallible. That means uh, they're not uh, completely perfect. If anything extraordinary seems to have happened, we can always say that we've been victims of an illusion. If we hold a philosophy which excludes the supernatural, this is what we will always say. What we learn from experience depends on the kind of philosophy we bring to that experience. It is therefore useless to appeal to experience before we have settled as well as we can the philosophical question. Do you see what what I was saying there? If we say, I'm of the scientific rational mindset, and we completely exclude from our worldview any sort of sense of supernatural, uh, everything has to be completely rational and processed through our senses, um, then no matter what is presented to us as evidence, we're going to turn around and say, uh, well, that's obviously got to be explained according to my worldview. It's obviously got to be explained that way. So if you're here today and you demand that you actually are completely scientific, rational, and uh, logical. You're welcome here today. 
bring your questions, bring your skepticism, um, but don't close off uh, what uh, you might see in God's word um, and the truth of it. And if you demand that you are actually completely rational and uh, logical, then let me uh, ask you to appeal to some of the, well, to, to consider what so many of the experts in the scientific field uh, who, who don't view uh, God and science as exclusive say. Take uh, Andrew Huberman, for example, professor of neurobiology at Stanford and has an incredibly popular podcast. You, you see him on the internet all the time. He's interviewed recently and he said, when you start to study and understand brain development, whether you're atheist, agnostic, or believer in a creator, you have to step back at some point and just go, wow. And he says, I'll just go on record. I'm very comfortable saying I believe in God. I do, I, th- I think there are many things that science can explain, but there's certain things science can't explain. But I'll go even further into that, which is to say that all the elements of science are entirely compatible with the idea of there being a God. Now, that's a tenured professor at Stanford. So if you're here today skeptical uh, and you're skeptical of what I'm saying, maybe listen to him and uh, listen uh, to the experts there. So if you're skeptical as to whether God used Peter to heal all these sick folks, let me encourage you, suspend the skepticism and explore a bigger question. Did Jesus rise from the dead. Because that's actually the central uh, event that all these signs and wonders are pointing to. The redemptive work of God, rescuing his people from captivity in Egypt. It points to the redemptive work of God in raising Christ from the dead that his people can be set free from captivity to sin. Signs and wonders that accompanied the prophetic age point to God's redemptive work, rescuing his people from exile through the death and resurrection of Christ. We are given a new home, a heavenly home, one uh, where one day we will worship Christ face to face. These signs and wonders of healing, they point us to the new life that we have in Christ and how one day there will be no more sickness or death or sadness. But all of this hinges really on three big questions. Who is Jesus? Why did he come? And did he really rise from the dead? So if you're skeptical today about these things, please do uh, explore these things. Let's, let's chat afterwards and talk about how you can do that. This brings us, though, to a question of signs and wonders in the 21st century. There is a school of thought that uh, looks at the book of Acts and the signs and wonders performed by the apostles and says, well, similar things should be happening here today, right? Uh, so back in the 80s... Uh, John Wimber was a pastor who wrote a couple of books, one of them called uh, Power Evangelism, where he puts forward uh, his case. And the logic goes like this. Uh, Jesus uh, inaugurated the the kingdom of God, announced that it was here. And he uh, demonstrated uh, its arrival by doing all of the signs and wonders that he did. And Jesus gave uh, his followers uh, the power to do the same and told them to go and do the same. And that's the same for us today. He says that uh, to proclaim his kingdom uh, with the Holy Spirit, empowering all his followers, uh, should be similar to what the apostles did. And uh, so today we should be doing lots and lots of signs and wonders. Signs and wonders were an everyday occurrence and part of daily life in the book of Acts. So therefore we should characterize 
uh, our Christian life uh, for us too. And the dramatic church growth in the book of Acts, well, it was mainly due to these prevalence of signs and wonders. So if Christians today would just stop uh, holding back, start stepping out in boldness and doing signs and wonders, then we would see dramatic church growth that the apostles saw. Now, uh, perhaps if you're on the skeptical side uh, today, you think, uh, yeah, that would make a lot of sense. If Christians were going into hospitals and uh, just healing everyone, I can imagine they would get a good following. You hear about Jesus and you think, well, if he's so great, can't he just give us a sign? And uh, Jesus once had a sign demanded of him. Some people basically said that to him, said uh, that in Matthew 12, 38, uh, some of the scribes and Pharisees, so the teachers and strict uh, believers of the law, uh, the religious cultural elite, they said to him, we wish to have a sign from you. And he answered, an evil and adulterous generation seeks a sign, and no sign will be given except the sign of the prophet Jonah. There, Jesus is uh, basically uh, saying that he did plenty of signs and wonders, but when one was demanded of him, just do a sign and we will believe. He says, no, you've already had a sign, the sign of Jonah. What does that mean? Well, he continues, for just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of a great fish, you can read about it in the book of Jonah in the Old Testament, so will the Son of Man, Jesus talking about himself, be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. Jesus is basically saying, if you're demanding a sign, you can just look back at all the other signs that have been done. Look to Jonah, uh, for example, three days and nights in the belly of a fish. So Jesus was three days and nights in a tomb. The prophetic sign of Jonah pointing towards the death and resurrection of Jesus. So without demanding a sign, what should Christians think about signs and wonders today and about power evangelism, as John Wimber put it? Well, I think this biblical perspective that we've got so far is going to keep us from extremes. One extreme is to look at at John Wimber and say, signs and wonders were clearly used to point to God's redemptive work. They have specific use in scripture, and scripture warns us against false signs and wonders to come. And it'd be tempting to take that and to say, well, John Wimber, therefore, is false, wrong, and deceiving people. Maybe look at all the miraculous things that have occurred in the church and lump them all together, saying God can't and act, and can't and won't act like that. But we need to be careful not to confuse God working in miraculous ways with signs and wonders ministry. So we, I think we have no right to say that God cannot do miraculous things. In fact, Psalm 95 for example, shows us that God creates and sustains the whole world. He's continuously at work. And the mere fact that we are here is miraculous. He created the world from nothing. He brings a new heart of faith to believers, bringing life where there was only death. That in itself is miraculous. In fact, Some of Jesus' miracles reflect some of the supernatural miracles that we see in nature. So when Jesus turns water into wine, is he not doing what God has done before, but in a focus-specific instance? So God sends rains, causes seeds to grow into vines, sun to shine on and ripen grape that fall to the ground and in the right 
conditions for men. Or even God will use skilled people who he, he has created to turn those grapes into wine. Jesus, Jesus' miracles are consistent with who God is. So, in our reaction to John Wimber, we need to be cautious not to have too small a view of what God does every day, and not to have a too secular a view of what God might do. But the other extreme would be to sort of wholeheartedly embrace John Wimber's teaching. And we do well to ask ourselves a few questions of it before we do that. And so, Uh, Do signs and wonders always lead to church growth in Acts? Well, signs and and wonders, they're not always connected by uh, Luke, the author of Acts, uh, to the church growth. For example, at Pentecost and even the healing of the lame man, uh, the church growth that happens after those events, Peter always connects to the preaching of, sorry, Luke always connects to the the, uh, preaching of Peter. Luke doesn't always say that these signs and wonders are widespread. They're mainly performed, actually, by the apostles. So in in 2.43 and and 5.12, it seems that miraculous events are uh, done by the apostles. Now, uh, later we'll see that Stephen does some as well, and I think we can probably tackle that when we get there, but it's likely due to the apostles simply laying their hands on him. And it seems that miraculous events like these, signs and wonders, as, as, uh, as the Bible puts it, they're around these uh, redemptive history moments. So Moses, Elijah, Jesus, the apostles. And then are the signs and wonders uh, performed uh, you know, by Christians today equivalent to those in Acts? Uh, Jesus uh, makes the whole earth subservient to him. And that is something that is not available, even to uh, the apostles. And so uh, Paul being shipwrecked where uh, Jesus uh, calmed the storm. There's sort of a different level to the signs and wonders going on. And then even uh, today, those sort of miraculous uh, claims of of Christians practicing it seem very, very different uh, compared to the ones in Acts. So signs and wonders in the 21st century It's not that God doesn't do miraculous things today. He does. But do we have a right to call for signs and wonders and say every Christian should be doing them daily and the church will grow? I don't think so either. Uh, Perhaps it's worth thinking of signs and wonders sort of like fireworks announcing the redemption of God's people. Like fireworks announce the new year. But the fireworks don't continue announcing the new year every single day of the new year. And this leads us then to what should we be doing about this? There are two reactions in the text I think we should go through. Uh, Verse 13, none of the rest dared to join them, but the people held them in high esteem. This, I think, likely means that uh, people were watching and were fearful to join the apostles, to be associated with them. It's, It's understandable. Peter and John had just been released after being tried and charged to be quiet about Jesus. And now they're causing an absolute scene for us today. What might be stopping us from following Jesus, from joining his followers? Perhaps fear of what others might think. Perhaps uncertainty about uh, how life might change. 
let me encourage you to not react to this like that. But instead, take the reaction of verse 14. More than ever, believers were added to the Lord. Multitudes of both men and women. And then they bring others to know the healing power of Jesus. So if we know the Lord, if we're one of the believers, do we realize that we get a role? Uh, Not that we go and perform signs and wonders, but that we get to introduce people to the wondrous power of Jesus. So when your colleague mentions exploring their spirituality over Christmas, perhaps, why not invite them to a carol service? When a family member talks about experiencing real loneliness or shame, did you know that you can invite them into a community where there is freedom from that? Two reactions then. There's the verse 13 reaction, not daring to join Jesus. There's the verse 14 reaction, bringing people to know him for themselves. So what's the most amazing thing that you've ever seen? What's the most wondrous sign you can imagine? I want to encourage us today to look back at these events and say that these are wondrous, amazing. Uh, They confront us with the greater reality of the resurrected power of Jesus. And so as we look around today at the church, we want to be not skeptical, not fearful of joining in, but instead bringing people to know Jesus for themselves. We're going to pause for a moment and reflect on these things, and then we'll continue our service in prayer.